0: Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Mark DeGuerre shares from 1 Timothy 6, verses 13 through 21, the 11th part of the series, The Household of God. And now, here's Mark. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Happy New Year, by the way. Happy New Year. Mm-hmm. To my fellow Francophones, Happy New Years. Let's open in prayer. Father, Lord, as we look into your word, we just pray uh, that you would make it resonate within everyone here. And that you would use uh, uh, this to meet us right right where we are. And that it would speak to our hearts. And that it would create uh, within us a hunger for righteousness that we may ultimately, Lord, glorify you in all that we do. Amen. You probably notice that uh, every year, as soon as Christmas is over, it seems that companies begin to market uh, the New Year's resolution. You know, see the the commercials or the radio ads. And uh, because they know that people will want to reboot some certain aspect of their life. So they want to take advantage of that and try to get you in. Gym memberships are a big one. If you notice that. Every gym is advertising right there. In fact, the fitness centers spent, that spend a lot of time studying the behavior of people will be the ones that will profit the most. It's not because they're going to tailor their gym equipment to your specific needs. It's not because they're going to take their space and make it you know, very comfortable for you to, to come into the space. In fact, they don't do any of that for, for, uh, for your benefit. That's not how they increase uh, the people. They don't jump on the latest fads either. What they've come to realize is that the majority of us, now I'm not saying everybody, but the majority of us will sign up and yet still we won't change our ways. We have the intention, right? We have the idea, you know what? I'm going to start exercising this year. We sign up, but many of us will not follow through. You know, sure, we may go out a few times, but inevitably we'll just stop going. And so the gym has to figure out What is the dollar amount that we are willing to pay to step through the front door and sign on the membership? Even if we're not fully committed yet. So it has to be a certain number. Because if I'm not fully committed, I'm only willing to pay a certain amount. And then they also need to know what is the maximum monthly fee that I'm willing to pay knowing that I'm possibly not going to be going to use their facilities all that much. And it's quite the science. Because they have to figure out the amount that is just low enough that as they pull the funds out of my, my account every month, that it would seem like it's a bigger hassle for me to walk to my car, get in the car, drive to the gym, go in and cancel my membership. That's who they're tailoring their Marketing to you. And so we put it off for a day. And then that day becomes a month. And before you know it, it's another month. And the gym knows this, and they hope that after some time that you're going to not notice the payment so much. That you'll get accustomed to having that payment go through every month. And if it's too big of a payment, you would really notice. But if it's just the right amount, you'll be able to justify it to yourself. Eh, it's just the price of a cup of coffee a day. What's the big deal, right? They don't want you to think of the 12 month total. And before you know it, the following year now, you have a New Year's resolution, which is to cancel said membership. You know, you're saying to yourself, I've been squandering my money, and my thing this year is I'm going to start saving my money. I'm going to open a savings account, stop spending my money frivolously, and start saving my money. One day goes by, a month goes by. The following year, you still have nothing in your savings account. We haven't changed. The intention is there, but we necessarily didn't necessarily change what we were going to do. I say that because we can fall into similar types of traps in our spiritual life. You know, we may put off something. Maybe God's been speaking to our hearts saying, Hey, I want you to do a certain thing. See, you know What? I love the idea. I'll see that tomorrow. And then tomorrow becomes a month. And before you know it, we're celebrating the new year. We had expected to move forward with this decision that would positively impact our walk with Christ. But time went by. We got used to putting it off. We got used to not doing it. And before we know it, the year has come and gone again. Maybe something caused us to actually... Lose focus of the narrow road. You know, the narrow road is a lovely and simple road to navigate, by the way. Maybe something has pulled us off this narrow road and now we've fallen onto this broader section. And the broader section has all these twists and turns and it's so complicated to navigate. You know, we've lost sight of the destination. At the beginning of the year, we had this thought of, I need to do this for Christ. And then we've lost sight of that. Thankfully, though, we have these things called maps and they give us this bird's eye view of everything. So when things look complicated, you pull out the map or Google Maps and then you see your straight line where you need to go. So we're going to open up our maps to 1 Timothy chapter chapter 6 today. Paul here is encouraging Timothy and he's providing him some direction so that he's not going to slip off of this narrow road. You know, because it's all... Too easy to get sidetracked with people or with life in general. And then we fall into this complicated web that is actually designed to entangle us so that we lose sight of Jesus Christ and the purpose of what his coming was. Beginning at verse 13. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, and who before Pontius Pilate, witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which, is in, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen. Nor can see to whom be honor and power everlasting, Amen. So Paul tells Tim to apply the principle from verse eleven. These different principles, not just for a season or two, okay, but until Christ returns. So every single day on earth, we are to apply the principles that Paul had asked of Timothy. And as we meditate on that, we understand that sure enough, whenever things seem to get complicated, it's possible that we just need to return to the very thing that Paul was talking about. And then Paul refers to the good confession. The first time he mentions the good confession is when Timothy had made a good confession before many witnesses. The second time he mentions it is when Jesus himself made a good confession before Pilate. And this discourse can be found in all the Gospels. But I'm just going to read from John 18 because it has more information overall. Beginning at verse 33, the word says, Then Pilate entered the judgment hall again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So this good confession that Paul is referring to, that Timothy had boldly declared before many witnesses, is based on what Jesus had just confirmed with Pontius. Jesus Christ said that He is the King of Heaven. He is God in the flesh. Most people cannot even fathom the thought. You know, they, they, we, we hear the sentence, but we don't really take into consideration all that it entails. You know, much of today's society thinks a king is just a guy with a crown on his head. He's got lots of money. He can do whatever he wants with his money. and But he has, you know, some limited power to a point, right? But in the truest sense of the word, a king is sovereign over his entire nation. He owns everything and most everyone within those boundaries. And we have maybe some difficulty relating to that concept by reason that we don't have an equivalent of our own. But when Jesus made this statement to Pontius, Pontius would have understood the complete meaning of this. He would have understood the ramifications since he himself answered to Caesar as king. Yes, we know that Caesar was a tyrant. Yes, he abused and misused authority, but he was a king nonetheless. And as king, he had authority over everything that belonged to Rome. So, now imagine, if you will, Pilate is standing before the king of heaven. And at this point, he must surely realize that if Jesus is who he says he is, he is in front of the most powerful person in the universe. Which goes to show us that even when someone has a thorough understanding of who Jesus is and his power, it is not an indication that they have or that they would ever consider bowing the knee to him. And such is the scenario with Pilate. See, the reason Pilate did not change his way is not because of a lack of understanding. It's not that Jesus didn't make it clear as to who he was. Pilate's limitation was self-prescribed. He chose to focus on the cares of this world and his own self-preservation instead of following the truth. As well as a list of other things which are the polar opposite of of what Paul had prescribed to Timothy in verse 11. So, think of with me, for, if you will, for a moment here, of all the implications that are associated with the statement that Jesus is the King of Heaven. We're only going to look at a couple of them today, but think about it for yourself. Just go and study that out. If He is the King of Heaven, He controls the door to His kingdom. He says, I am the door. He will allow... Those that he wants to come in, to come in. And he will prevent others from coming in. I look at it this way. My home has a door on it. Your home has a door on it as well. That door is designed to keep out unwanted guests. My family, come and go as they please. My friends, come and go as they please. But that same door is closed to anyone that wants to cause a problem. With me, with my family, or with my friends. It's closed. It's not that I'm being mean. It's just that if they aren't there for the right reason, there's no business being there. Flattery doesn't get them in. Promises won't get them in. Impressing me with their position won't get them in. Lying to me definitely won't get them in. It seems that every year I have... Uh, Someone trying to get into my home to inspect my furnace. Have you ever had that happen to you? Yeah? Okay. You know, they show up with their nice name tag. It's got the company logo on it. It looks very professional. Their name and this long title. And then they proceed to give me their spiel. And then they're telling me that they're inspecting homes with older furnaces on behalf of the government. I think that's very nice of you. And they say that, uh, what do you know? I may qualify for a government grant to help offset some of the cost of this furnace. And, uh, you know, so they, they, they give me all the, their key words that they're using. But sure enough, as soon as I pull out my phone and I start recording them, what do you know? Their story takes this dramatic turn. And all these key words that they were using to try to manipulate their way into my home, they vanished because I shone the light of my camera on their words. One guy actually started walking into my door. I'm standing in my door and he's trying to walk into my door. I'm like, oh, what are you doing? He's getting mad at me because I'm preventing him from walking into my house to go look at my furnace. I had to remind him that he was uh, trespassing on my property. He made his way out eventually. So depending on who the person is, that same door can be either a welcome sign or it could be a barrier. It's the same door. Another thing to note is that if Jesus is the king of heaven, the inevitable conclusion would have to be that he owns everything. But not just everything. He owns everyone. Think about what I just said. Okay, This is not something that we should just let go by without actually uh, remaining indifferent to the statement. Okay, Let me explain. It should either cause us to be comforted beyond measure, to know that the King of Heaven, okay, loves us, preparing a place for us so that we can spend eternity with them. That's comforting. Now, if it doesn't comfort you, it should concern you. Okay. It should cause great concern, knowing that if you've not accepted his free offer of salvation, that means that you will not enter the kingdom. That means there's only one destiny left for you. But the good news is that if you're concerned, though, you can actually resolve that today. Which is the good news. My fear, though, is that someone would be indifferent and not fully understand the consequences of their choice. Because even in a state of rebellion, okay, we belong to Him. And we choose to either be for Him or to be against Him. And we ultimately have to make the choice to surrender and come to Him and have Him become our Lord and Savior. As we move on, though, to the next part of our text, I want us to keep in mind that we are reading what was written to Timothy, the believer of Jesus Christ, a follower of Christ. Okay? It also applies to all those that have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. But now, the reason I want to preface this is I wouldn't want anybody to accidentally uh, misconstrue it by uh, salvation, by good deeds or good works. Okay, The Bible says salvation is a free gift of God, not of works, lest any person should boast. So this next part is actually about growing in faith and understanding the sovereignty of God. okay, His power, His love. So 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Command them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy that they be that they do good that they be rich in good works ready to distribute willing to communicate laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life verse 17 is a direct challenge to what our understanding may be in regards to trusting Jesus as our provider Where does our trust truly lie? Is it really in Him? Or actually, is it in my own abilities? Sometimes we may confuse the two. Am I taking credit for the things that I've accomplished? Or do I truly understand that He has provided me with everything that I have? Because if Jesus is the king of heaven, that means he owns everything that we have, it truly belongs to him. This would include us as a people, but that would also include our skills and talents, our finances, everything. Therefore, I can boast of nothing except for what he's done. So then I have to ask myself, am I living my life for God's glory? Because I can guarantee when we see Him face to face, you know, we want not be at all concerned with the material things that are here on earth. And, I mean, why should we? Jesus, the Lamb of God, that precious Lamb, okay, took away our sins so that we could have eternal life with Him. And if we don't already, I think when we see Him, we will absolutely understand that everything that we have in this world was a gift from Him. And it was for us to use for His glory. So now, knowing that He's taking care of my needs and that this life is temporary, I further ask myself Am I trusting Him enough to use all that He's provided in order to bring glory to His name? Even my minivan. Am I using everything for His glory? Because it's the new year, I want us to just pause for about 10 seconds, okay? Just take a moment and think of all the things that God has blessed you with. Okay, let's do that. I'm sure as you're thinking of these things, you notice that the most precious of those things cannot be purchased with money. You know, think of all the people we love. Your friends, your family, your church. All these souls. No amount of wealth on earth could pay for even one soul. And God loved us so much. He paid with His own blood. The only thing that could pay. I mean, the amount of love that was freely given is unimaginable. And when we take the time to think of what our God, our King of heaven has freely given us, it will cause something within us to want to love him even more. And it'll cause something within us to want to give back of ourselves. So giving a portion of our finances to this work or to a ministry that's outreaching people or to the poor, that's a fantastic thing. And we don't do it by reason that God needs our money. God gives us everything. He doesn't need our money. It's simply because we want to demonstrate to people the love of God, how God has loved us. And we want to do it by investing in a work that is reaching souls. I love how Paul describes it. He says, it's like you're looking in anticipation. I'm looking to, for opportunities because I want to give and I want to help and I want to share. He's excited about doing it. But he also puts as much emphasis on the work. Yes, giving is great, but there's also labor. You know? He says, do good. He says, "Be rich in good works. So we also want to give up our time because our time is precious to us. And when we offer something precious to God, it brings us joy and it brings him joy. And if we can't be doing something that's physical, man, we need prayer warriors, the most underrated thing available. Prayers are precious. And we can't help but find joy when we are working with spirit filled believers. Oftentimes a good remedy for discouragement is you just come along another believer and you help out in the work. The Bible says it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so it is that, you know, we take what God has blessed us with and we use it for His glory. And if for some reason it feels like a chore to give, then maybe it's time to revisit the good confession that Paul was talking about. Verse 20. O oh, Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings, in oppositions of science falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. Paul is instructing Timothy here to hold on to that simple truth. Keep it, which is not to be confused with hoarding it. Okay, Keeping it like guard it we are to judiciously guard the truth of Jesus Christ in order to prevent error. Otherwise, the consequences can mean a life apart from Christ for those that have yet to be saved. He says it was committed to our trust. You know How often do we glance over our word and not realize the implication? When you are entrusted something, okay, it means that it doesn't really belong to you. It means that you are to manage it on behalf of the owner or on behalf of a beneficiary. And in this case, it's both. See, Jesus has entrusted us to manage this with that in mind. Also, he has given it to us to manage it on behalf of the beneficiary, which is going to be the person that gives their life to Christ. And really, one of the best ways to guard it is by sharing it with others. Tell others about Jesus. Tell others why the King of Heaven had to come here. They may know about Jesus. They may not know why He had to come here. Ask any teacher, and they will tell you that one of the best ways to grow in understanding and to commit something to memory is not just by studying it, it's by applying it, but also by teaching it. That's why teachers are so wise, because they regurgitate and teach it all the time. And they always have the answer for you. And as you continue to tell others, your faith and your understanding will be strengthened, fulfilling Paul's requirement to Timothy. And when there comes a time when someone is complicating the faith through their pet dogmas and they begin to regurgitate some twisted scriptures, well, you'll be able to stand firm on your faith that was committed to your trust. Paul further explains to us how we are to guard it, what to look out for. You know, some people tend to blend other ingredients with truth. You've probably heard it said before, rat poison is not all poison. It's 99.9% good food. That's what gets the rat there. It's the 0.1% that kills them. And so it is with with truth and error. It's that little bit of error that causes the problem. You know, maybe they're mixing in their opinion. Maybe it's some confusion, maybe it's a misunderstanding, maybe it's a subtle lie, maybe it's an outright lie. Whatever the case, he gives us a description of what to look for in order to be able to discern truth from error. So you got to be guard on this and being guarded when you when you hear certain things. So when you're looking or when you're hearing, and they're uh, ridiculing the scriptures, even subtle, subtle ridicule. It's not going to be out and out, obviously, okay. If they are irreverent with the Word of God, if they are talking a lot and it seems they're, like they're saying a lot of good things, but it's not getting anywhere, it's not getting to the point of the cross. Notice if it brings any real value. If it doesn't have real value, discard it. And then be careful when you use extra biblical sources, okay, because they may be opposing the Word of God. Something else to bring the kingship of Jesus into perspective is that his word is irrevocable. For those of you that like to watch British shows, uh, irrevocable. Okay, It is legally binding. Most people wouldn't even think of taking a legal document that was penned by the Queen of England okay, and trying to misrepresent it or trying to forge it to suit their needs. People wouldn't even fathom the thought. Because they know that there will be dire consequences if they would do such a thing. And yet, people would even make sure that we wouldn't misunderstand what was being said by the Queen or written by the Queen, because they want to make sure everything's on the up and up. And yet, some will take the King of Heaven's own word, and then they will proceed to slice and dice to suit their particular bent. But God is always gracious. Always. And he is long-suffering. He warns those that are spitefully doing such things. And he gives them an opportunity day after day to turn to him for forgiveness. And then he actually lays out the consequences for those that don't, in order that they would reconsider. It's not that he's being mean. It's just there's a reason. Finally, in Paul's last sentence, he writes, Grace be with you. He wasn't talking to the entire church here. He says, you, speaking specifically to Timothy. Although we can most certainly apply it to ourselves. Okay? He singled out Timothy so that he would not be delegating what was asked of him to somebody else. Tim was to make sure that things were done. He was to teach, to correct, to proclaim, to demonstrate, to guard and to live out his faith, and he was to teach others to do the same. So yes, he is speaking to Timothy, but it applies to everyone. And he would teach others to do the same, that we would do what we are supposed to do and not expect others to do it for us as well. We're like stones in the house, rightly fit together, each stone doing its part. And Paul finishes his sentence, the way we finish our prayers. He says, Amen. You know, it's a, It has this definitive meaning, but for some reason it gets spiritualized into nothingness. You know what I mean? We say Amen all the time, and we don't think necessarily as to what it means. Amen is an amazing word. It's universal. You know, it doesn't matter what language someone is praying in, it doesn't matter what tongue they're using to read the scriptures. When they get to that word, you know it. Amen. It's the most well known word in the world. And most people don't even know what it means. We just say it. It simply means, so be it. The word itself is an expression of absolute trust. No doubt. When we say, Amen, we are saying, I absolutely trust God with this. So, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives instruction to Timothy and finishes it off by saying, I have absolute trust in God that by his grace you will do this, Timothy. And that, Amen, applies to us as well. Because if Jesus is the King of Heaven, we can have absolute trust in Him. And His grace is sufficient for us as well. Let's pray. Father, as we think about uh, all that You've prepared for us in this life and the life to come, we marvel at what You've done in order to bring us to the cross. Uh, We ask for opportunities to share this good confession before many and that they also will have joy in knowing that one day they and their family can be with you in your presence for eternity. And Lord, we ask that you would, be, uh, that you would fill us with your spirit and joy as we go about giving ourselves to the work, praying for the work. And Lord, we thank you for entrusting us with the truth of your word, that we may bring glory to you as we guard it and also as we share it with others. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church, where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at vfa.church. Until next time.